that song, Faithful You Are? Do you guys find yourself like on Wednesday, you still have these songs echoing in your head? That's a good thing, right? Probably better than Jackson Brown in my head for those of you from the 70s. Anyway, see, he knows. Good. All right. We're going to read a couple verses. There are just a few verses, so pay attention because if you drift off, you, you'll miss the whole thing. Are we reading it or singing it? It's a song. We'll read it. Okay. Sounds good. I'm going to read it from my phone despite John's introduction. Um, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7, and it's in page 564 uh, in the Bibles under your seat if you want to follow along. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Wait. What was that part about if a man offered? Can you read verse 7 again? Yep. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Wow. Thank you, buddy. I wonder if there was such a man that offered all the wealth of his house for love and was despised. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Anyway, well, welcome. Welcome to Grace Life Bible Church. Um, our big deal here is to experience God's grace and then extend it. It sounds super easy, right? Until you run into real people with real problems. And that's where the grace of God equips us, blesses us, and helps us all. So uh, we're, we're excited about knowing God and his word, experiencing his grace, growing in healthy relationships, and then impacting those near and far. Whoever God brings into our sphere of influence and even those beyond the borders. So that is who we are. That's how we roll. And um, before I get into Song of Solomon here, I, I just have a couple funny things to read. I'm saying that so you know that you're supposed to laugh at a certain point. All right. So now some of you younger folks don't remember the days that software... Um, you always had to upgrade your software from like, you know, Word 3.0 to Word 3.1. Now it's all subscribed and all happens in the background. So this relates to that software update. So there's a guy that wrote tech support, like relational tech support. And he said, um, dear tech support, last year I upgraded from girlfriend 7.0 to wife 1.0. Wife 1.0 installed itself into all other programs and now monitors all system activity. <laughs> Applications such as Poker Night 10.3 and Football 5.0 no longer run independently. <laughs> when attempting to run the programs outside of Wife 1.0, the system crashes. How can I keep Wife 1.0 in the background while running my favorite programs? I'm thinking about going back to Girlfriend 7.0, but I can't find the uninstall module for Wife 1.0. <laughs> So, tech support writes back, dear troubled user, what you are experiencing is a very common problem. Many users have upgraded from girlfriend 7 to wife 1.0, thinking it's just a utilities and entertainment program. It is not. It's an operating system designed to run everything. It's also impossible to delete wife 1.0 and return to girlfriend 7.0. Wife 1.0 is designed to block any attempts. Once the files are removed or installed, they cannot be deleted. Please consult 
the warning section in the manual, section nine on alimony child support. <laughs> we recommend you retain wife 1.0 and work on improving the situation. Frequently we found that the command C slash apologize ultimately helps, but you'll have to give that several times and it doesn't always take effect immediately. Be careful how you use other support programs. Improper use will cause the system to launch NAG 9.5. <laughs> Once this happens, the only way to improve performance of Wife 1.0 is to purchase additional, additional software. We recommend Flowers 2.1 and Date Night 3.5. <laughs> anyway, so that's just funny. Relationships are hard and funny, so we joke about it. And I love the whole conversation about men and women and how we're, we're so different. And then, you know, God puts us together and you kind of wonder if he's like, he's not snickering, but it's just like, it's just a funny thing. We're so different. And, um, and it's good. It is good. So we're looking at the Song of Solomon. And um, if you've been with me or us a while, you'll know I have a commitment to the text. I'm willing to let the text take me places that maybe I haven't gone before, maybe I haven't seen before, and whether it's something as simple as, as back in Genesis, where was the location of Ur, north or south, you know, the big scheme, whatever, but really the text guides us, and so I'm going to be following the text in a direction that probably 99% of you haven't even heard of today, and that's okay. Just wanna, I just want to offer it up as, as an option. I think it's being faithful to the text, um, but that's just where I'm going. So I'm going to start off with, with a question about Solomon. Um, typically, Song of Solomon, it's like we look at this and, oh, Solomon and his love for the bride. And, and we should look to him to learn about sex and marriage and relationships. And, but in the background, I'm like, well, how do you tell your teenagers? Yeah, he had like hundreds of wives and stuff. But, but don't be like him, but learn from him in this important area. I'm like, what? So here's just a little bit of background about Solomon from the Bible. Now Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonians, Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said, you shall not enter into marriage with them, because they will turn your heart after following their gods. Solomon clung to these women in love. He had 700 wives, this is from 1 Kings, who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David had done. And he built high places for Shamash, the abomination of Moab, in Jerusalem. He did this for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. Now, we talked about this before in that culture. That's how you protected a kingdom. You married daughters of all the kings around you, and then those kings are not going to come in and attack your nation. That was common sense. It was the way to protect your kingdom. It's just not the way God works. And so, again, I'm, I'm just offering a question. Why do we look to Solomon if, on the surface, he's got some issues? I'm, I'm questioning that, okay? So, um, in his culture, that's what they did. Our culture, uh, it's a little different, although um, Donna was teaching a spinning class at the Y. You know, it's like a stationary bike in a room, and, and um, they're talking, and the, the, the conversation goes to family and this and that. And there's a guy in the class who mentions, yeah, you know, I, I met my wife in high school, high school sweethearts. So we were married over 40 years, and... Then we just realized that we really didn't love each other. So we got divorced and now I'm with somebody else. 
And you're like, 40 years? And you just decided we don't, we don't love each other. Interesting. So our culture is one of... Um, you, you wouldn't go to this... Oh, I think he used the language, uh, she was a starter wife or something like that. Anyway, you don't go to starter wife guy to go teach me about fidelity, faithfulness, happiness in marriage. And I'm just going to throw this question out. Why would we go to Solomon? Okay, I'll, I, I got to build this, okay? So my question for today, we're, we're going to try to get into these questions. What's your game plan for marriage, fidelity, or sexuality? If you're not married, you still got to have a game plan for sexuality. I mean, what, our culture is just inundating us with messages about these things. And, and when it comes to sexuality, is what you think about sexuality, is it normal? Is it cultural? Biblical? How do you know? How do you know? And, and why is somebody here is probably thinking, or online probably thinking, well, normal? Why limit ourselves to normal? Yeah. Um, well, here's, here's why. What, what is this? It's not a trick question. It's a phone. There we go. Good. So far, I'm going to turn it on to mute so I don't get embarrassed. Anyway, um, it rings and stuff. So, um, yeah, this is, is, is a phone. What, what is this for? Uh, I had to write all this down. It is for talking, texting, communicating, scheduling, reading, playing, listening, watching, researching, buying, selling, reporting, verifying, discovering, learning, and on and on and on. Remember, I used to tell my dad all I could do on my phone, and he would be like, well, I know you're not lying to me, but how? <laughs> it's just great, you know, from... You just couldn't figure it out. So, um, all right. Now, if you have ever done any construction, if anyone here ever hung a door, you know, an exterior door, interior door, you, you got the hole framed out, you put the door in, you always have a gap around because you have to shim it, make sure it's plumb, true, and straight, and all this is kind of complicated, but you have spacers, shims. Could I use this as a shim in there and then whoo, screw it in there to be a spacer? It's solid, like three-eighths of an inch. Would it work as a spacer to plumb a door? It would work. Is that what it's designed for? Not at all. If you use it, you're not going to discover the true functionality of the phone. You, you will be using it in a way that it wasn't designed for. And that's where many people today with sexuality, they're using it in a way that it wasn't designed, not understanding the true function that it was intended for. Okay? So many people like that are happy today, sad tomorrow. That's the bumper sticker for today's talk. Happy today, sad tomorrow, and we want to be longer-term thinkers than that. So, but wait, is this really just a phone? Turns out it's not just a phone. It is a dopamine dispenser. Dopamine is a drug. I'll get into this later, but sex creates chemicals in our brain. One of them is dopamine, and research shows this is a huge dopamine producer. I'll explain that later, but the, that's this kind of a weird deal. So let's review. God made man. God made woman. God made man different than woman, and he made them together. In marriage, they had sex, they had kids, and then they got phones and got distracted and discontent. That's pretty much the end of the story. It was closing prayer. <laughs> so um, seriously, it's... it's um, our culture has so many issues that we really need to be intentional about navigating, especially if you have little kids. Just never before in human history have there been so many tools to interrupt and destroy hearts, souls, and minds, and emotions 
through chemical processes that come to us through screens. It's just, it's astounding. Anyway, so... Um, the Song of Solomon, like the best of, you know, the Holy of Holies, the best, the best of anything, that's why it's called that. Um, all right, how do we understand the book? A lot of times people look at the Song of Solomon and say, well, it's just an illustration of God's love for the church, which is fine until you start talking about breasts and sex, and then it gets like, well, that's weird. It gets awkward in a hurry, right? And so because of that, some people in antiquity um, sort of took a step or 18 away from the literal reading and said, oh, it's just allegorical, <laughs> okay? And you can see them blushing. So is Solomon, the, is he real in the book? I think, yes, he's real. Is the girl real? Yes, they're real. Their marriage, their sex is real. I think they have sex twice. If I read it correctly, you'll have to check that out. But anyway, um, sex comes from God. And this book talks about it. So how to read and understand the Song of Solomon. Literally, there's three ways. This is number one. Uh, there's real people in real love. It's about the beauty of a solid marriage relationship. And of course, because the New Testament talks about Christ and the church in the language of bride and groom, there are some parallels. But the point is not primarily about those parallels. It's probably about a guy and a girl. Okay? Typically, okay, in this view, it's like, well, they're real people, but it's not about the people, it's about Christ's love for the church, which again is, it gets awkward in a hurry if you go literal, and then you go allegorical, there's no real people. We, we just can't deal with attention, so it's just made up stuff because it's about God's love for Israel, and that's... Those, so I'm going to be solidly in number one here, um, literal. It's about real people in love. Of course, there are some parallels that carry on. So, all right. Um, so if you have the experience of being loved unconditionally by solid parents or other people for many years, you have a shorter runway to figure out God's love. It will make sense to you quicker because of your human experience. Unfortunately, that's not the story for many people, and it's just rough and bumpy and all kinds of issues. That's a longer runway to understand the love of God. Because like last week we talked about on, on was last week, Father's Day already? Anyway, um, we all have to unpack our earthly image of fathers and mothers as we relate to God. Sometimes we have things in the way, all right? So... That's just the way that is. All right. Um, the context of the Song of Solomon, the setting is in the north. That's important. It, it's important because Solomon gave away a lot of land, 20 cities in the north. He just gave them away. Imagine the uproar if the president or somebody important just said, yeah, that's, that whole like Montana, North, South Dakota, Canada, just take them. People would be, you know, upset. Anyway, okay, so we're going to go on to um, the next slide here. If my, all of a sudden it doesn't work. Can we go to the next slide? I don't know what's up. There we go. So King Solomon gave to Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee, specifically a, a town called Kabul and Rain. So that's the area. He gave away cities. So the, the whole context of the story, the book of the Song of Solomon is in the north where he gave um, land away. And people in the north despised Solomon. They did not like him. Okay. And so... Um, 
Right after this verse, a couple verses later, it talks about, uh, it says this, this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon drafted. So he drafts forced labor. He doesn't even pay his workers like Josiah got Israelites to work but paid them. So Solomon is a mess in terms of how he rules Israel. He taxes the, the, the north, spends money in the south. He gives away land in the north. People don't, don't really like him. And so... Again, I'm just, I'm raising the question. I, I don't know if I would look to him for ways in relating, especially sexuality. So here are two ways that we look at the book. Traditional view, probably if you've ever read the Song of Solomon, this is the lens you have. A guy, a girl, and they love each other, okay? Um, Saul, the, the, the woman in the book, uh, two or three times, I think in chapter six, is called the Shulamite, which is like a title. It just means the perfect, the pure one, the, the peaceful one. So it's not her first name. Um, if you want to, you could, mar you could name your daughter the Shulamite. It would be unique. Anyway, the other, the other model, and this is the model that I understand as I read the text, more and more I'm seeing this in the text. I don't think I'm making it up. It's called the shepherd hypothesis, kind of like a, not a very slick name. But anyway, the idea here is that you have three characters in the book. You've got the girl, the Shulamite, and you've got Solomon, but you also have another guy, a shepherd. Now, the Shulamite and the shepherd are either married or engaged, like probably married, and Solomon is trying to get in and get the girl and woo her with all his money, power, and riches. And that's going back to that first verse about a man trying to spend everything he has to get a girl for love would be despised. I think that's pointing to Solomon, okay? So that's interesting. So uh, there's a verse here that I'll get to this later, but, but if, if this model of three characters, there's a couple verses that, that point to this. Here's a chapter 5-9. Uh, the, the maidens are talking and, and they say, what is your beloved more than another beloved? O most beautiful among women, what is your beloved more than another beloved that you adjure us? Why are you talking to us about this shepherd guy when you've got the love of the king? What is your lover better than this lover? So it seems that they're already acknowledging multiple lovers to the, to the girl, okay? So... Um, now, just, just, just so you know, this is just an idea, okay? I, if you do, that's fine. It's just an option, an idea. I, but my thing is I want to read the text, and, and if there are three characters here, I, I want to read it that way and see how it goes. Now, to be honest, one of the problems with the Song of Solomon is it doesn't say, and she said, and then he said. It's just, it's just a bunch of, and you're like, what, where does one start? And so it is complicated. I'll give you that. And also, just because I see three characters in here doesn't mean I don't highly value resources out there that lean toward the traditional side, like Tommy Nelson's 12 series thing on Song of Solomon. It's, it's $59.90. It used to be like $200. It's 60 bucks now. Super good. It's, it's not for everybody, but if you're interested in sex, it, it's good. Okay, I recommend it. That was... Okay. Anyway, it is really, really good. So, Tommy Nelson, he has some good stuff out there. Um, so, the basic model of this, this three-character thing is this. The Shulamite is passionately married to the shepherd. Her beauty catches King Solomon's eye, and he rushes in with all his wealth, power, and, and glory and glitz, infatuated by her body, which he talks about at length, 
tries to persuade her to get her to enter his harem to join all the others, and um, she resists. She's faithful to her husband, not persuaded by the riches. In that light, the hero of the book is not Solomon. The hero is this common woman who's faithful to her husband, standing against this onslaught of power and wealth. It's the fidelity of the Shulamite woman, and it's also to demonstrate that the king can be resisted. Imagine if this book in that culture, you, the, the, the North already hates Solomon. Imagine if this story starts to circulate. Are we going to love it or what? Now look at this. The king is rejected. This, this little girl stiff-armed the king. Yes. I mean, that's, that's kind of the vibe that you would get here, okay? So there's a couple plots going on. And in, in case you're like slow to the idea that people would sort of under, under the cover jab or, or tongue-in-cheek, you know, poke at the king. First Kings 1 through 11, 11 chapters, systematically praises Solomon for everything the king of Israel was prohibited from doing in Deuteronomy 17. You read Deuteronomy 17, it's a chapter on your king shall do this, not do this, not do this, not do this. And one by one in those 11 chapters, Solomon is praised. He's so smart, he has horses from Egypt. Deuteronomy 17, not supposed to do that. He's solving prostitution instead of prohibiting it. So it just goes on and on and on. So I, I'm open to the idea that people were, you had to be quiet about it because you could get your head chopped off. But it's sort of like Solomon. Yeah, not so much. The girl reject him. Anyway, just an idea. I want to walk you through this. Not the whole book. I don't have time for that. But I'm just going to take you through snapshots to see how, how this might roll out. Okay? So I've got like a, a 10 or so slides about this. Chapter 1. Um, let him, this is the, the girl talking about to the, shep, to the shepherd, okay? The, the Shulamite talking about her husband lover. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is better than wine. Your uh, anointing oils are fragrant. Your, uh, your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Um, draw after me. Let us run. But the problem, the king has brought me into his chambers. She doesn't want to be in the king's chambers, okay? That's, that's how that would read. Tell me. You whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock? Where do you make it lie down at noon? Why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flock of your companions? Well, Solomon isn't going to be out at noon in the fields plastering his flock. And the, the veiled, remember when Tamar had to pretend to be a prostitute? She veiled herself. So, so she's saying, I want to know where you are in the country among all the tents, but I don't want to have to put on a veil and be mistook for a, a prostitute. So she's, she's kind of concerned, where are are you? I want to find you. The local maidens say, if you don't know where you pasture your flock, oh, most beautiful among women, follow the tracks of the flock. Pasture your goats beside the shepherd's tents. So basically, they're like, hey, if you want to know where the, your lover or shepherd is, go follow the animal tracks. That'll take you right to him. But animal tracks aren't going to take you to King Solomon. Okay? That's what I'm observing here. Now, Solomon starts to, and he does this a lot of times, praising her beauty. Behold, you're beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. Your eyes are like that. He goes on and on and on. He's trying to woo her and praise her with all of the, um, the language of um, physical attraction. All right? And then, we've got one more here. Um, maybe... We can start over. Okay. CJ? No. Okay. 
And so, um, yeah, and this is, again, Solomon saying you're beautiful, your hair is like this, your teeth, your cheeks, you know. And I don't know if this is really a good thing to say. I got 60 others. <laughs> Join them. Anyway, um, you know, queens and concubines are all praising her. And then in chapter 7, he goes on and on and on. And it's fascinating um, because they just continue to talk about, about his, um, her beauty, the physical beauty. Okay? I don't know if... Yeah, so I, I backed up here. But anyway, the Shulamite, the shepherd, um, she's talking about... Oh, yeah, I got I to gotta, gotta talk about this. So this is the girl talking about her shepherd lover. I think... Uh, yeah, th let me... I backed up here. So chapter 5, verse 9. What is your beloved more than another beloved? So you seem to have the, the woman hearing advice from the maidens. Why do you want this lover instead of that lover? And this is her answer. The woman says, my beloved, my beloved shepherd is radiant and ruddy, distinguished. His head is, his, his hair is black. His cheeks or his eyes are like doves. His cheeks are this, lips, arms, body, legs, appearance. But look at this. This is my beloved. And here is the most important part. He is my friend. Now, there's no way she's going to say this about Solomon. Solomon's a complete foreigner. She doesn't know Solomon. Solomon's coming in there trying to... to so, so this lover is her friend. That just means, you know, close, intimate um, person, friendship kind of thing. So, and then, then Solomon goes on and it's just, look, it, it's all external. Your body, your body, your body, your body, which is fine if there's a context of... Commitment and love, which, which is totally lacking here. And so um, he goes on, and then um, it's actually, yeah, you're, <laughs> there's a couple of good phrases here. Okay, guys, this is good stuff. If you're married, guys, this is what you want to say. Your belly is like a heap of wheat. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, yeah, he talks about necks and eyes and, and, and two breasts. And now, just so you know, the whole allegorical thing, back in the day, they looked at this and they go, two breasts, that's, it, can't, it can't, can't, be, can't be that. So, two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. That's what it's talking about. Seriously, that's what they did. Okay? And the girl at the beginning, you know, her skin was dark because she's outside working. And they're like, it can't be, you know, skin can't be exposed. And so, it must be... Dark with sin. The church is dark with sin. Seriously, that's the allegorical method. Just woo. It's kind of fun because you can just make stuff up. It's kind of dangerous because you can make stuff up. All right. Anyway, moving along here. Um, yeah, she says, it goes down smoothly for my beloved. I, my beloved's, his desires for me. Talking about her shepherd. Um, she rejects the king. And uh, all Solomon wants is... is her body. In fact, it's interesting, the tense, when Solomon's praising her body, he says, um, he's talking about her, her body and says, I will climb the palm tree, lay hold of its fruit. Um, may you satisfy me. And so it's, it's future tense that he hasn't realized. He, Solomon hasn't had sex with the girl. Okay, if you're wondering what I'm trying to say. But she has had sex with her husband. Anyway, all right. And then she says to her shepherd, let's go out in the field to the villages and the vineyards. And, um, and then here's this verse. 
Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, like Solomon's doing, he would be despised. And I think he is despised. And so um, that is a fascinating, interesting deal. And then the very end of it, make haste, my beloved, be like a gazelle um, on the mountains. Come find me. Okay, come to me. And... Um, Let's wrap this up. So that's what he's talking about. So again, that's just a quick overview and it is super wiggly, plasticky, mobile, whatever, just, just not sure. That's okay. Um, but I want to be committed to the text and, and, and read it like that. So for, for your own possible reading conclusions, okay? If that's the case, again, the hero is not Solomon and his multiple wives. Uh, and his disobedience to Yahweh, it's about this faithful Shulamite woman who is unswayed by power and wealth, but is faithful to her husband. And I think that's, that's a worthy, worthy story. So, hard shift here because I talked about how God made sex to create drugs and our phones create it's the same drug. It's called dopamine. So in the, the whole sexual thing, you've got oxytocin, which is a bonding chemical that women, when they breastfeed, they bond to their kids. And, and, and then uh, dopamine is also super um, part of that, that experience. Actual research on marriage finds that dopamine helps people keep married. I read one book that said, um, how did it say? It said that dopamine... And that intense physical union between husband and wife helps spouses overlook the annoying habits of each other. And you can just, I can just see God designing this whole marriage thing. He's got the conference table. He's like, okay, we've got this marriage, man and woman. Uh, yeah, but that sounds really hard. I wonder if they're just going to, what do we do? Dopamine. Anyway, um, I don't know about the conference table, but... Um, so uh, there is a great podcast that I listen to. It's called St Screen Strong Families. It's just on this whole thing, dopamine and screens. And so um, I don't know if you have heard of Screen Strong. This lady lost her kid to just um, addiction to the dopamine producing video games. Just did that all through high school, went to college, skipped all the college, did games and just tubed out of life. And so then she backed up and said, wait a minute, what's in so her whole, she's interviewing a doctor of psychology here in this episode. But anyway, good, a good thing to, um, you just go screen strong families, episode 151. So uh, dopamine is part of the sexual process. It's a, the brain's reward chemical. God built us this way so that we, when we do good things, we're like, that was great. Let's do it again. You get dopamine when you eat a good meal. When you go for a great bike ride, you're like, that was great. Let's do it again. Tomorrow, I'm tired today. But anyway... And so uh, you read a good book, you go for a walk, you do something that's pleasurable and, and, and good, you get appropriate levels of dopamine. That's God's design. It's triggering us for survival. Dopamine is good for a couple things like learning, motivation, heart rate, blood vessel function, kidney function, lactation. I don't even know what that is, but it's just in the list. Sleep, mood, attention, control of nausea, pleasure, pain processing, and movement. It's a big deal, okay? That's the point. This is a big deal. And so um, when you eat a, a good meal, you get dopamine. Now, here's the trick. If you eat a pile of carbs and refined sugars, think a big platter of cinnamon rolls and Mountain Dew, you get a lot more dopamine. You just get flooded with it. It's called a dopamine dump. And you want to do that again and again 
And, and pretty soon, the, the, the six cinnamon rolls don't give you the same dopamine buzz as before, so now you go to eight. And the same thing with screens. You know, the, the two hours on the phone, on social media, no longer, I don't feel as good, so now I need three hours. And games, I, I, I get the same level in the game, but I don't get the same buzz, okay? So anyway, that's what it is about. We all have a baseline of normal dopamine, healthy dopamine. Go for a walk in the park, read a book, and oh, it was satisfying. That's part of dopamine, okay? Now, for, for, for standards here, sex has a, a dopamine level of 100% above just normal, that was a good salad kind of thing, okay? And so um, screens also produce this dopamine dump. So eating and screens, why? Why? Because that's how we're designed. And um, social media experts have found a loophole in human physiology, and they're exploiting God's design for this chemical. Listen to this. Facebook, the first president of Facebook, Sean Parker, uh, said when Facebook was getting going, I had people would come up and say, oh, I'm not on social media. I'm not going to be. And he would say, oh, yeah, we'll get you. The thought process behind Facebook was, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? That's the aim. That means we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post or whatever. That's going to get you to contribute more content. You'll get more likes and more dopamine. And he says you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. That is what he's doing. So um, sex is 100% above normal. Check this out. Cocaine, 225% normal. Probably doesn't affect most of us in the room. Video games, well-designed video games, some of them hit 300% over normal dopamine levels. Well-designed with all the sounds, the triggers, the reward tokens, the levels, 300%, okay? Parents, are, are you aware of that interaction when your kid uses a phone and playing, it plays on a game. You've probably seen it if the kid steals the phone and disappears. It's not all behavior. There's a chemical addiction going on. They, the, it, the law of diminishing returns, you, you can't do the same thing and get the same amount of dopamine and experience a higher level. You have to get more of the phone, more levels, and so you'll see children's behavior in terms of an addiction. And so it, it, it takes, um, this book said it takes, it depends how long you've been addicted, but it can take one month. Like if your kids kind of are too addicted to games and stuff like that, it takes a month for them to back off and de-escalate. They said, plan three or four months on this whole pullback from games and, and screens and be intentional. At the same time, you have to supply legitimate dopamine producing stuff. You can't just leave them alone. And... Um, but if, if you've been addicted longer than that, here's uh, on one forum that I, I visited. I, I'm not like a member. I'm just, <laughs> anyway, my dopamine must be on the camel caravan. Someone's complaining about it. I'm trying to get off the high, but it's so slow. I'm 90 days clean off opiates. And just in the last couple of days, I'm getting back the will to live and the energy to do it. It's, I agree. It's hard. Get over the hump when you're over the hill. Um, my dopamine must also be coming my camel. I'm over 12 weeks clean, nothing in the mail yet. Uh, it takes longer. 13 year, years of heavy opiate use. You know, so anyway, um, so th these people are just simply saying it takes a long time. And that's 
something we need to know if you want to get in and fight it for yourself or a family member. It's not a quick thing. You can't just yank the phone away and everything's fine tomorrow. You're in for a week, month, month long um, deal. All right. Okay. So, um, eventually this addictive behavior leads to a thing called anhedonia. Anhedonia means the lack of experiencing pleasure. You become depressed, blase, nothing is satisfying. Again, you'll see that with kids. They used to come over and play cowboys and Indians and do stuff, and now they just want to watch TV, play with phones. Okay, that's, that's the pathway to this anhedonia, lack of pleasure, and it will impact every aspect of life. And by the way, this is not just North America. This is worldwide. This is human physiology. It happens to it's a little kid in the middle of Tibet with a phone, okay? Anyway, all right, and here is what scripture um, we need to focus on. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that... By testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so normal for our world, conform to the normal, is sexual excess, confusion, distraction, all kinds of stuff. Does dopamine renew our minds? No, it doesn't renew them. It just makes me want more of whatever I'm, I'm consuming. All right? And so... Here's another good book, just a resource, The Teenage Brain, talks about how teenagers, their, their brain is literally being built. I don't, I'd like to file an official complaint to God how he designed us, because not until you're 25 do you get the complete frontal lobe that controls danger and risk. I told you the story about me holding my buddy over a five-story building just by my hands. He's like, nothing can happen wrong until it does. Anyway, so it's a good book. But the, the idea here is that they said dopamine physically changes the brain. And if you stop using certain parts of the brain, they said here, if it's like branches that grow, but if you, you get into the dopamine thing and you don't use... Don't develop the branches for like social interaction and face-to-face -face conversation. They dwindle and shrivel up. And you don't have them. Unless you really try to work at them later, which you can, but it's hard work because your brain is physically crazy. I remember talking to a psychologist and she, she at lunch at Grace was sitting around and she was like, she struggled because the people she saw, she's like, I struggle so much because, because of addiction and how your brain is so changed. What, what is redemption for you this much? Because you're, you're free from your sins, but your, your brain is toast. And there is a way to recover, but it's an uphill battle. So it's, it's, it's something we want to, as parents, take very, very seriously, okay? Very seriously. Um, so the good news is neuroplasticity. The brain is far more flexible than people used to think. So like intelligence, you know, if your IQ is whatever, people used to think, oh, that's it. Well, there's a range of intelligence. You can bump that up or, or kind of coast and you know, go the other way. So um, it's a good thing. Our brains can learn new things. We can um, recover from addiction to porn. Here's an article about that. Um, repeated viewing of porn resets neural pathways uh, that, that aren't satiable in real life. Um, the user is thrilled and then doomed, and you just kind of keep going up and up and up. So here... Patients who overused porn were able to quit cold turkey. Their brains changed back. They, they didn't balance the porn. 
right? It's just boom, and it takes a while, but those branches start to regrow, okay? And so um, there are a lot of things in life that you may not like, but you can you can start to like. Like if you're addicted to porn or games, you don't like the idea of getting away from it, but we can learn to like that, okay, in, in, a, in that sense. There are things like acquired tastes. You know, if I, I used to think that, well, if anything needs work to like it, that's God's way of telling me don't eat it. But there are some things that are worth, you know, acquiring a taste for, like coffee. Anyway, um, body odor. In a lot of cultures where, where people just smell bad, they, their sense of normal is different than ours, and they don't notice the body over. I, I, I was going to show you a picture of this next one, cow urine, because there is the, the Maasai tribe in Africa. They stick their heads under the rear end of a cow and bathe in cow urine because they just find it so pleasing. And I'm like, okay, that's an example of neuroplasticity because they have so, they think that's a good thing. Anyway, my point is the brain is flexible and we can change and adapt, all right? We can do that. So a couple things here with kids, caution against balance. You don't, how do you balance addictive substances? We got to be, and I don't have the answer for you guys with kids. You're going to have to take home and figure this out. Um, don't just yank the phone, bad, bad, bad. Forbid it. You want to teach and educate and have a conversation and explain things, right? That's that's what works. Be, what works good. And and you're probably thinking, oh, if they don't have a phone, they're going to be they're going to fail school. They've made technology, but super intuitive. They're going to be okay. All right. So a couple things to do, try to create normal dopamine producing activities in your household. Let's bake together. Let's go out and burn something up, whatever, something exciting, okay? Um, I had boys, so. Um, yeah, renew your mind with scripture. So here's your homework for today if you have kids. Would you feel bad if your kids did not have a smartphone? Why? I don't have the answers. These are your questions. Would you be open to having a game-free home? Why or why not? Hard questions. Um, what could you do to produce more natural dopamine-producing events as a family for your kids? Those are good questions, all right? So I think these are some questions that we need to wrestle with. What's your game plan or your strategy for sexuality? Married, unmarried, we're all sexual beings. You have a game plan in this culture that is teaching us 24-7 about sexuality and um, it's, it's something to pay attention to. What's your game plan for marriage fidelity? I love the idea that the Shulamite was so faithful to her husband, the onslaught of temptation, because there are temptations in our culture for infidelity, right? And what's the game plan here, okay? Their love was, it seemed to be like cemented with this dopamine and a good physical relationship that seems to enable her to like, I don't want Solomon. And then when it comes to sexuality, what's normal for you is it normal to God? What is the inputs for your definition of normal sexuality? That's a question. Where's it coming from? Is it coming from God's word at all? So powerful question. So um want to um, pray. Lord, thank you for creating us as sexual beings. It's, um, it's a very complicated world, and creation is good and pure. I like it, but man, the, the whole world we live in just twists and perverts 
we're so confused about this area. We, we want to come to you and simply acknowledge you are the creator. You made us as sexual beings. Would you guide us forward in that and help us pay attention to other things that are stealing from that area? May we define ourselves and our desires as you have designed us. We don't want to be like a phone jammed behind a door with a nail in it just because it works that way. We, we want the full use of our sexuality. And uh, we know that's going to start when we submit to you your design and understand what you have for us. So it could be a long journey. I understand that, but we have a long time. So I just pray that you'd be gracious and kind and uh, love us as we move towards you in this area. Amen.